Good morning again. Grab your Bibles. Make your way to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in John chapter 8 this morning, as you can see behind me. And we're going to be looking at one particular verse this morning, and that is John 8, verse 12. A particular passage is connected to the series of events which flow out of chapter 7. And just a reminder, that was a focus on the Feast of Booths, and when Jesus went down to go partake of that festival. And last week we looked at the previous verses in the opening of John chapter 8 with the understanding that those may or may not have happened at the Feast of Booths. And if you'd like to get the background information on that, I just encourage you to turn to the church podcast, which we found on the church's website. The timing of our event today is for sure on the final day of the festival which connects this to chapter 7. In chapter 7 and verses 37 and 39, Jesus gave a great proclamation. It was an invitation to the people to come to him and to drink, and whoever would do so out of his heart would flow rivers of living water. And today in our passage, Jesus is going to deliver yet another great proclamation which ties into the festival. In making this proclamation, once again, we see the Pharisees coming to Jesus out of confrontation because they don't understand where he gets off. The real question is, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to say such things? Who do you think you are to do such things? And we'll spend time with that next week in that confrontation. Our focus is on Jesus' proclamation in verse 12 of he being the light of the world. So let's read it. And we're going to walk through all the implications and the applications of just this simple statement that Jesus makes that would have on his original audience, but also would have on us today. And the word of the Lord says, and again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now we've dealt with the Jewish festival of booths several weeks ago, but I thought it'd be helpful this morning because I know you remember every single word I say from Sunday to Sunday. If we would spend some time just getting a reminder what would take place on this final day. And so the day we begin with this festival that the priest would walk out to the pool of Shittim and he would draw water in a golden basin and he would walk it back to the temple through the streets of Jerusalem as the crowds, the Jewish people would follow him And when he got to the temple, he would pour the water into a silver basin, which would remind the people and symbolize the provision of water that God gave his people as they wandered in the wilderness. This whole festival is about remembering God protecting and providing and delivering his people in the wilderness and from the bondage of Egypt. After he poured the water, he would get to another uh, basin and it would be full of wine. And he would pour it into another silver basin as a reminder of the promise that one day God is going to pour out his spirit upon his people. And it's during these events which Jesus said what he said in John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. And as we come to our passage this morning here in verse 12, the indication is, is that this is the final night of the festival. And we get this image of what's going on. So everyone would be in the temple, they'd be celebrating, they'd be watching all the festivities that were taking place, and then throughout all of the temple courts within the temple, there would be lanterns lit, there would be candles lit, and it would remind people when God led their ancestors out of the captivity of Egypt, 
with a pillar of fire by night. It was also a reminder of how God's presence dwelt with his people, directing them and leading them in the wilderness, letting them know when they were to set up camp and letting them know when they were to tear down camp. And once the lanterns were lit, within the temple courts there would be dancing and there would be praising and the people would be singing from the Hillel, which consisted of Psalm 113 through 118. And once all the proceedings were done, that's when Jesus says what he says. I am the light of the world. So they have this visual all around them of God's temple being lit up. And then Jesus makes this proclamation. This is the second of seven I am statements that Jesus makes within the Gospel of John. The first one was delivered back in John chapter 6. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And Jesus' statement of being the light of the world was made in the temple courts when it was all lit up with candles and lanterns. And the statement itself was significant. But the background of the statement is what holds the implications. And so we have to understand what Jesus was saying, and it begins by understanding what the scriptures had said about Jesus. There are several prophecies, all within the book of Isaiah, which captures this statement that I am the light of the world. Isaiah 9, verse 2, reads, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. In Psalm 42, verse 6, it reads, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Psalms 49, 6 reads, It is too light a thing you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Finally, in Psalm 51.4, reads, Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation, for a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. Psalm, or Isaiah 9.2 is a prophecy chapter concerning the birth of the Messiah. Psalm chapter 42 is a prophecy concerning the Lord's cho- chosen servant, Psalm chapter 49 is a prophecy speaking of the suffering servant. And finally, in Psalm 51, God is calling his people to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. In simplest terms, when Jesus makes this statement that I am the light of the world, he's not beating around the bush and letting the people understand his identity. And he makes it at the very end of this festival to make the point He's claiming his identity as spoken by the prophets and letting the people know that he is, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah they have been hoping for. What also happened at the end of the Hillel that they would sing, as they wrapped up that psalm, the people would join in unison in the festival, and they would say, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? That's from Psalm 27.1. So when you think, the Lord is my light. And my salvation, whom shall I fear? And then Jesus stands up and says, I am the light. I am the light of the world. Statement he's saying is that I and the Lord are one. 
He is proclaiming his equality with God. He is proclaiming his identity to the people. And he is proclaiming his purpose. And the reason we can gather all that, not just from the prophecies, is if we understand how the Jewish people understood light and the meaning of it. They saw the word of God as a light to guide them throughout their entire life. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Proverbs 6, 23 read that for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. And John was led to open up this gospel that bears his name. He points out a very similar statement. It says, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus' identity as the Word of God is because He embodied the Word of God. He lived it out completely, all the commandments, all the restrictions, everything that God said. Jesus lived it out. He was the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And the reason he lived the word perfectly is so that he could ultimately be sacrificed for the sins of the world. Secondly, the Jewish people, which is Jesus' original audience, understood light was a means of God's revelation. For the Jewish people, they would look to the book of Ezekiel. And he had the vision of the throne room of heaven and the radiance of light all around it. We go to the book of Revelation. And John gives the same image when he received the vision of the throne room. And he wrote down of the radiance of light all around it. So Jesus, when he says that I am the light... He is telling the people, and he's telling us that he is the revelation of God manifested before their eyes. The word revelation can be defined as a divine vision given by God to mankind so they can understand their existence and purpose. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that revelation. That's why we read John 3:16, for God so gave his own the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave the revelation of himself to the world. Why? So that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. So Jesus was given to the world, given to all mankind, so that we could come to this understanding that we are in fact separated from God because of our sin if Jesus Christ is not our Lord and Savior. He revealed through his life that we are incapable of living a life according to God's holy standards. He revealed what the writer of the Hebrews wrote when he said, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And he has appeared once for all at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting him. And that's out of Hebrews chapter 9. Finally, for Jesus' audience, the Jewish people gathered at this festival, standing in the lanterns and the candlelight of the temple courts. Light was the sign of salvation. 
In Habakkuk chapter 3, we read, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear? In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. After John the Baptist was born, his father Zechariah, who was a priest, delivered a prophecy. It can be found in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 1. And most of that prophecy has nothing to do with John, but has everything to do who John would prepare the way for. And this is what Zechariah said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. In the part of the prophecy Zechariah gives, there is a small portion about his son John as he would prepare the, ro- prepare the way for the Lord. It would be about his instrumental role. And he said this, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. For what reason? To give knowledge of salvation to the people for forgiveness of their sins. When Jesus was presented at the temple as a young baby, a man named Simeon was moved by the Spirit and came to declare over the little baby Jesus, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. When Jesus visited Zacchaeus' house, he declared in that house, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The early believers also understood this purpose and this identity of Jesus just from this proclamation of he being the light. They said, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So Jesus is standing here in the temple as the festival of booths is beginning to wrap up. And he's declaring for all to hear that he is here for their salvation. The word salvation carries the meaning of preservation and deliverance. Which is exactly what these Jewish individuals would have been doing during this festival. Remembering that God had delivered them from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. Remembering that God had preserved them during their wanderings in in the wilderness with water. And his presence was with them and could be seen as a pillar of fire by night. They were also celebrating God's faithfulness as he would once fulfill his promise. And he would pour out his spirit and he would bring salvation once again to his people. So Jesus' statement isn't just a statement that we should read here and we just kind of read over it or ignore it or just read through it rather quickly. He's saying, look, guys, I am one with God. I am the fulfillment of the prophecies. I am the embodiment of the word of God. I have and give instructions that pertain to life. And I am your salvation who will deliver you from bondage. Obviously not from a governmental system, but bondage from our sins so we can be restored back to God. In these seven simple words, Jesus revealed his relationship to God. He revealed his identity. 
and he revealed his purpose. So why can we trust him? Or why, which is why we can trust him when he declared that I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And so for us, it's, it's to speak to heart. It, it isn't about what we can do. It isn't even about what we've done or even about what we regret in the past that we've done. It is all about the complete work of Jesus Christ and who he is. That's what it's about. Jesus did not say, notice, I am the light for the Jews. Rather, he said, I am the light of the world. And even though he was speaking to a Jewish audience when he said this, he was letting them know and us know that he is a savior for all people. This is why he says, whoever there in verse 12 in that second sentence, which means anyone who. Last Saturday, uh, not yesterday, but last Saturday, I planned to sleep in. Had in my head Friday night, I'm going to sleep in. Students, let me let you know something. When you get older, sleeping in becomes very hard. <laughs> I made it to 645. <laughs> yes. Um, I tried to get out of bed very gently so I wouldn't disturb Jamie, but that didn't happen because once I move, our dogs move, and then it's just chaos. I even took both dogs with me so one wouldn't start whining, but she wanted to sleep in too. She made it to 7.30. And as I was downstairs, I got a text message of a picture of one of our kids, uh, an activity they were involved in the night before. And typically on Saturdays, sometimes on Sundays, the first text I get from Jamie is, coffee? And so I knew that one was coming. So I made her a cup of coffee. I took it up to her while she was in bed and let her drink her coffee. And as she took the cup, I said, hey, when you're done with that, would you like to go for a walk? It was a nice morning. I knew it was going to be warmer later. And she loves going for walks. Um, And so she said, yeah. So I knew I had about 30 minutes because she's not like a coffee guzzler. I mean, she like sips and savors. And so, um, so I knew I had at least 30 minutes. So I go back downstairs. Get on the couch, I turn on the TV, and I turn it to a, a, a channel that has a college football broadcasting show. Now, this particular show goes around the country to different college campuses. Typically, on the Saturday, they're at the campus of the biggest game of the day, and they talk about it. And, and I was pretty happy because the biggest day, game of the day last Saturday was Notre Dame versus Ohio. And I'm a Notre Dame fan. Not because I'm a fan of Catholicism, but because my favorite football player ever went to Notre Dame by the name of Joe Montana. And during a part of the broadcast, they turned to this segment to interview a priest who worked on the campus. And the segment was how he would go to the locker rooms. And he'd go to the home locker rooms and the visiting locker rooms, and he would pass out prayer tokens. And he would tell them, as he handed them the token, that if you, you, first off, he told them that we are going to have people praying for you during the game. And then he told them that if you need prayer, the visiting team, before you leave, I would be more than happy to do that for you. And I thought, man, that is a cool gesture. But then he said something that made me cringe. As the interview began to wrap up, the reporter asked this question. What made you start doing this? The priest smiled, 
And this is what he said. We believe there are multiple ways to Jesus. And we want to be one of those means for people to get to him. And all I could think in that moment was, oh, no. You did not just say this on national TV where thousands, possibly millions of people are watching and they see you as an individual who represents God. And then I thought, ask him another question. Let him clarify. Maybe he didn't mean it the way it came out. And you stood there and smiled, and the reporter smiled, and she said, that's wonderful. And they cut back to the other crew. And I'm sure there's going to be, were a lot of people watching that and heard what he said and thought, that's wonderful. That's a wonderful thing to say. But I want to tell you this, and I don't know the priest, obviously. It is not. It was a flat-out lie. And I don't tell anyone, or I don't know anyone, who thinks a lie is wonderful. We don't never say, oh, you lied to me. That's wonderful. Jesus makes it abundantly clear throughout his ministry, he is one with God, and he is the only way to God. And he's making that statement here very simply, but so many layers underneath it in verse 12. As he looks at this Jewish audience, and if they were familiar with the scriptures, they would have gotten to that conclusion. He goes on in verse 12. There's more to the verse, obviously. In the second part of verse 12, he tells this audience, and he's telling us why this is so important for people to believe he is the light of the world. He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And again, in the context of the statement, what's going on at the festival? And God's people are remembering God's guidance over his people. But not only his guidance, but also his protection from the nations as they wandered through the wilderness. Now in the Bible... Light is seen as good, and darkness is a representation of evil. This understanding comes from the first day when God created light. Darkness did appear, but it only says this, God saw that the light was good. And so what Jesus is doing here, he's giving this open invitation to follow him with an understanding that it will, what it will lead to. The word follows me is an invitation to be with Jesus as one of his disciples and to believe in him. The understanding is, if we are with Jesus and we are found in Jesus, we will not walk in evil or in darkness. This is the promise of salvation. Just as the Israelites in the Old Testament walked under the guidance of God's light, so now if you are found in Jesus, he is your Lord and Savior, you walk under the guidance of God's Spirit. And there's more. Since darkness is a representation of evil within Scripture, which generally speaks to and points to people who rebel against God and therefore rebel against God's people, possibly leading to persecution. The promise is our attachment to Jesus is not a removal or a deliverance from a global threat, 
but from the forces of evil which reside in this world, which would be our true enemy, the devil. It's not a promise that we won't experience evil days. It's not a promise that we won't experience dark days. It is not a promise that you won't experience tribulation. It is not a promise that you won't experience persecution. If you want examples of that, just read through the book of Acts and see what happened to the first followers of Jesus. Turn to the book of Revelation and see what's going to happen to the future followers of Jesus. This is a promise that when our days are over on this earth, we will be rejoined with the light of the world because we have been given the light of life to dwell inside of us. It's because this promise which Jesus says that in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And we put Matthew 5 and John 8, 12 together. The way we shine our light, the way we are following Jesus and remaining with Jesus allows us to be the light before others so they can see our good works. But we have to remain attached to him. Jesus said this in John 15, 5, another one of his I am statements. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides, which means remains in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It would appear by the response of the Pharisees, which comes in verse 13, where we're going to look at that next week. But it would appear that Jesus' proclamation here in verse 12 goes right over their head. Either they were so hard-hearted or they had so much anger towards Jesus, they couldn't even hear what he was declaring. And these would have been the individuals who knew the law and word of God. Even though they wanted to kill him, we find time and time again, though, throughout the Gospels, Jesus constantly tries to attempt to awaken their hearts. We aren't told here if anyone heard what Jesus said and began to follow him. The passage moves on to a debate about validity of testimony, which, again, we'll look at next week. Yet five more times within the Gospel of John, John, Jesus is going to make I am statements. And two more of those times are so that his enemies and the crowds can understand who he is and that they have to place their faith in him. Now, we haven't looked at all of them, but I want to put a list up behind me of what they are. The first one is found in John 6, 35. We've read it already. It says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The context of that, Jesus is pointing once again back to the stories of Exodus where God provided manna from heaven. Jesus is saying, I am what will suffice you. I am what is, we're going to fulfill you. He says it two more times within that chapter in verse 48 and 51. We spent time today on the second I am statement here in John 8, 12. In John 10, 7, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He says this statement again in verse 9. In John 10, 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Then in verse 14, Jesus reemphasizes it. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. John eleven twenty five, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. John 14, 6, which we already looked at. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 15, 1 and verse 5. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, the I am statements of chapter 11, chapter 14, and chapter 15. Those three, the final I am statements of Jesus, were made to Jesus' followers, his disciples, those who understood who he was, those who believed in him. The other four, from John 6, John 8, John 10, and the other one in John 10, were I am statements that Jesus would make to his enemies and to the Jewish people. And here's the funny thing. I shared this on Wednesday night. If you go to John 10, after Jesus' final open I am statement, he kind of gets to the point where he's starting to see the people are not getting it. They're not understanding what he's declaring to them. And so basically he comes right out and says it in John 10, 30. I and the Father are one. And I bring this up because we find Jesus time and time again trying to get people to understand who he is and what he's going to do for their sins and what he's going to do for the sins of the world. And so if you're here today and you've yet to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've yet to find forgiveness for your sins, you've yet been, be, been given eternal life, then I want to imitate Jesus in this very moment and make sure you understand how you can by sharing the gospel. And the gospel in very simple terms is this. God created you for a relationship with him. It is your sins which Jesus Christ has died for which separates you from that relationship. And as Jesus declares to these people, it's nothing we can do. It's everything that he has done. We can't prove ourselves to God. We can't live up to God's perfect word. That's why God sent his son, Jesus Christ. He died for the sins of the world on a cross, a horrible death. They placed him in a tomb and he rose three days later to show that he has the power over death, the authority to forgive sins, and the authority to grant life, eternal life. And if you're here this morning and you're unsure whether or not Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, or you're you're absolutely certain because the Spirit's grabbing hold of your heart, we're going to have a time of invitation. I'm going to pray that you just come down. And you can just sit in the front row, and I'll sit by you. And you just have to say, Pastor, I need to be saved. And we'll pray together. We'll talk together. And I promise you there will not be a believer in this room who will not celebrate with you. The Bible says when one sinner comes to repentance and comes to the Lord, the heavens erupt. I'm going to ask Nick and Bridget to come up and lead us. I want to pray over us real quick. Father, thank you for this day. And you are the light of the world. And you have given the light to dwell inside of us that we might be a light into this world, that people can see you coming out of us. Father, there's someone here today who needs to accept you as your Lord and Savior. I pray your spirit gets a hold of their heart. They can't stay where they are and they walk down these aisles. I pray you continue to be glorified in this moment. And we praise all in the name of Jesus. Amen.